Greetings, friends. Welcome to the Pin Tool Podcast. My name is Al Wayman, owner of Creek Road Pottery in Laceyville, Pennsylvania, next to the cold Tuscarora Creek. Pull up your chair around the wheels. We discuss topics concerning the art and craft of pottery, good books, storytelling, marketing, and creating work that matters for folks who care. Greetings, friends. It's me, Al, from Creek Road Pottery, here sitting next to the cold Tuscarora Creek. Um, it's Saturday, Labor Day weekend, and it's a beautiful day. So, some updates around the pottery. Um, I spent the month taking down the Burry Box wood kiln that was given to me, and it was an amazing process. Um, I went into it not knowing anything about kilns, um, and simply taking it down, I learned so much about it. And the thing is a piece of work. It's a piece of artwork. And I loved it. So I almost got over 3,000 bricks stacked on pallets and getting ready to deliver them to my studio here. So the kiln was an hour away, and I was able to take it apart. I, I went up there with a rubber mallet, and you can read about that in my newsletter at creekroadpottery.com blog, where I talk about that. But the bricks came apart fairly easy. I thought they would be welded in there from the glaze ash, but things slid out fairly decent. And I didn't get any bricks dropped on my head. Probably one of the most difficult parts of the whole thing was getting the bricks off the stack. Because I had to work above a roof line and I needed help doing that. So I lowered bricks down and pails by a rope and then would go down and stack them once I got a big pile. Put them on pallets and then back up again. It's a 20 foot stack. And once I got below the roof line, I was able to throw... A bunch down on a bed of tarps which softened the blow so things wouldn't break because I was trying to break um, as little as possible getting it down because that's um, a few less bricks I'll have to buy later on the construction so the big plan is to get that kiln up in the spring and next fall have work out for the fall show in October that is wood-fired. So I have burners um, to fire that out in gas. So once I get it up, I may fire it out in gas once just to uh, harden up the mortar and the tatami brick ceiling that will need to go back on the... uh, the firebox. So you can read about the, the tatami bricks and what they're made out of, how they're made. I posted a recipe about the tatami bricks also on my blog. So I haven't done any sales. I'm almost broke here in the pottery because I've been working on the kiln and I haven't I haven't prospected for sales. I haven't done any marketing and uh, it's just been a pretty long month and process. Uh, also, in between that, there were some things going on at the paper factory. They got some upgrades, and uh, we're trying to get the equipment lined out 
and it's just been horrible work days, long work days, had to do some overtime, and uh, I wasn't able to get into the pops as much. And I got two shows coming. Uh, one is the fall show in October, and another is an artist tour. So I need work up for both of those events. So I'll be throwing later today and um, kind of relaxing and taking it easy because the paper factory was pretty hard on me <laughs> the last two days. And it's good to finally get a Saturday off and uh, enjoy the time, the little bit of free time that I have. And hopefully I can enjoy pot making in that free time. So I haven't thrown in probably about a month or two uh, because I've been on my days off trying to get that kiln down, spending time up there, spending time with family, and also doing some other things that I enjoy. But friends, it's been a long time since I've thrown pots, and I may need to, I may need to start with bowls uh, so I can get back into it, and some candle cups, some easier forms. Because it takes practice. It takes about 100 to get back into it. And once I get back into it, I want to do fermentation crocks. And some casserole dishes. And some baking dishes for the fall show. Because that's always a nice show. If I can have uh, some larger dishes for the community when they come down on the trails. So that'll be fun. So I have the firepower to do it. I have... Uh, four updraft kilns that I can use that are hooked up and ready to go at different times. And so firing the workout isn't a problem right now. It's just making it. So I have some experiments I want to work on. Uh, I was given another uh, large electric kiln. The lady said she just wanted it gone. Didn't care. It was taking up space. <laughs> so... I may take my dad over and have him help me with his truck. Because I'm a potter and I don't have a truck, right? So I have to get family involved and, and that's all that's all well and good because my dad enjoys the ride and enjoys seeing things and what's going on. So I'll probably take him over and have him help me do the kiln loading and help me with that, what he can. And then bring it back here and what I'd like to do is build a small building I have a bank and I want to dig into this bank and put uh, a draft port and a fire port underneath this kiln with some fire brick and uh, set that kiln on top so that I can make a fire underneath maybe start it with gas right I'll put a fire underneath it and um, burn wood up in there so, have a small electric to gas, electric to wood type kiln, updraft, and um, fire out wood. And if I could get two of those types of kilns on the bank, uh, that would be amazing to do. Because then I can do a wood firing in small format with something that takes less effort than firing out a huge wood kiln that would take four face cord, right? <laughs> so that's what I'm planning here. So I need to put in the pad for the 
wood kiln and also the pavilion. I'm probably just going to borrow the money, get a small business loan, and then I need a another kiln shed for over the the updrafts that are outside covered with grill covers. So I have grill covers on them all, and they're fairly dry. Um, but I still need to work out that process. I need to do kiln repair. So I need to take the kilns and unstack them, uh, repaint the bottoms so they don't rust out, and uh, double-check the, the connections to the gas connections uh, just to make sure everything's safe. Um, I need to clean some of the uh, some of the thermocouples so that it doesn't shut off the kiln when you don't want it to. Uh, I ran into that problem a few times firing. Um, I had to take sandpaper because carbon gets built up on the thermocouple and uh, it doesn't it doesn't send the electrical signal to the basal valve correctly. So you go out on your 15-minute check, firing manual, and find your kiln off. It's easy to start back up again, but it adds like another half hour onto your firing. So, enough of that, right? So I need to do a kiln repair before the fall, for sure. And a um, bunch of other things. Need to get the building ready. Found a, <laughs> found a leak in the pottery shed building. So I need to get up there and put some shingles down on that area. And um, the building is six years old now. Um, I am seven years as a pottery business. Currently, uh, I started eight years ago. Eight years ago making pots again. Seven years selling, because I started selling the family year seven and to wet shavers selling shave bowls. So coming up on year eight, so that'll be really interesting. Uh, I really want to plan something fun for year 10 in the pots selling, right? Because that'll be a big deal. But before I do all that, I need to get the big wood kiln in. Need to get overhead on on the updrafts. Need to fix the pottery shed roof. So nothing else much has been going on. Uh, like I'm saying, sales for me have been slow because through the summer months I didn't have any shows planned, and I've been relaxing and doing family things. But this kiln came up and it it was a pretty big deal. So you can read about that. Um, over on the website. So I want to talk about kilns in this episode um, because I've always fired manual fire. And um, even back at the pottery, doing the electric kilns, uh, we had a kiln meltdown where overfired the the sitter cone melted incorrectly in a way that would not allow the trip to drop to shut off the kiln automatically. And it kept firing. And we went down in the morning and 
shelves were melted together in with pots and things are very hot and it was just a big mess ruined the kiln um they were able to get insurance off that but that just stuck in my mind and i never trust the kiln sitter after that and i never trusted the kilns not to screw up so they're like kids playing next to the road in a sandbox and the minute you take your eyes off them to go get a sandwich or to watch young and the restless right they're going to be out playing in the road immediately like you could just count on it so so with the especially the gas kilns uh i i do hourly checks like the first two hours second two hours half hour checks the last two hours uh 15 minute checks and i put in shelf cones and um kind of watch the firing kind of get the feel for the sound how the kiln's breathing and um try to stick to some kind of schedule with the effect the effect effect that i'm trying to go for right and so in this episode i want to talk about kilns not only gas kilns but electric kilns and firing electric kilns manually and trying different techniques and being brave with your kilns because i always thought there's no such thing as killing kiln gods and there's no such thing as uh just putting your pot in and hoping for the best like there's so much more that you can do and there's so many things that the firing can be influenced by and if you use those things to your advantage and you kind of get a feel for how to do that you become braver and make more interesting work and add a whole nother look to your pots just by the way they're fired out, right? So um, let's go and uh, we'll sit out back, right? It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful day. We'll get some chairs and we'll sit out back under the tree, the big maple, and we'll talk about firing kilns manually. Because I think, I think there's a lot you can do. And if you can figure out how to turn those things back on, all the better. And if you fire manually with cones on, the cone shells looking through the peepholes, all the better. Right? A lot of times people, they use uh, temperature settings, but... Cone and temperature settings are two different things um, because the cone measures work heat and work heat is always different than a temperature. So if you're even using a power meter, uh, it may not be all that accurate. And uh, a lot of people are so stuck on the power meters, even for firing a gas and power meters for firing wood. Um, I always thought when I got the wood kiln, there's going to be a lot of moaning and groaning from the team that's going to help me, but I really would like to get to the point of not being dependent on the power meters, but paying attention to the kiln, how it's breathing, the sounds, the look of the color, and what the cones are doing. Right. So, get a coffee, right? Meet me down there by the tree, bring a chair, and we'll talk about ways to fire manual 
and we'll go over some things that you can do with your electric kilns that can make your work a little bit more interesting. All right, I'll see you down there. Greetings, friends. Uh, pull up a chair here under the big maple out here. It's a beautiful summer day, and uh, we're going to talk about firing kilns manually and different things or ways that you can influence your kiln firings. And before I even start, I want to read a section from Bernard Leach's book, A Potter's Book. And if you have not bought this book, I would su suggest uh, you take a look at it because it's, a, it's an awesome book and there's uh, some pretty nice things in here from one of the fathers of American pottery and from Europe also right and this is a pretty famous book back in the day so here he talks about atmospheric conditions um, when firing a kiln and here the atmosphere and the weather is really important and he's talking about wood firing so this is back in a day when they uh, didn't use pyrometers as much, and they relied on cones and the sound and everything. So here we are on page 194 of A Potter's Book by Bernard Leach. The length of the firings in atmospheric conditions in a kiln are considerably affected by the weather. Strong gusty winds alter the pull of the chimney, especially if it is short. Roof eddies increase irregularities in the draft just as ordinary domestic fires. But it is better to have a chimney end of a kiln exposed to prevalent winds than the furnace ends, which difficulties can be overcome by the installation of electric suction fans in place of tall chimneys. But this only adds to the complication and expense of a small pottery and means dependence on mechanisms, the failure of which might spoil a, a firing. In the east, it is recognized that a heavy damp weather, heavy damp weather is more suitable for reduced glazes, such as Saldon's bright clear autumn weather for oxidized iron glazes and uh, red and mottled rush black and tomoko glazes by the Japanese. Three years ago, I was working in Japan at Hamada's kiln and a great typhoon arose during the firing and as luck would have it, the wind blew straight into the open shed in the direction of the flames. No barricades were erected, could help keep it out. The draft was such that the glazes were melted hours earlier than usual. At the time, we congratulated ourselves when we saw the pottery all shiny in its brilliant whiteness through the, through the peepholes or the blowholes. But when the kiln was opened, we found the sides of the pots away from the flame were quite unmelted and practically everything had to be refired. So that's just talking a little bit about how weather 
dampness, uh, a nice dry day, can influence um, a kiln if it's outside being manual fired. But most of our kilns are electric and inside. So what can you do? Well, you can influence uh, the kiln by firing schedules. I want to jump back and talk about gas a little bit because I'm more familiar with gas because gas is the only thing that I have fired. And I have a gas schedule that I follow and it's here on a, on a paper that I got with my Amico updraft kiln years ago. And I still use this, although I modified how I fire my updrafts and I modified this schedule. I guess what I'm saying is that each kiln that you get is like meeting um, a new partner or a new friend. Um, you need to get to know them. You need to get to know what makes them tick, what they enjoy, how to get along with them. So each kiln is like dating. So your schedules will vary depending on the type of kiln you have and how it fires out. So out of the four updraft kilns, um, one of them is a hot top rather than a hot bottom. Because usually in the updrafts, you have the hot bottom. But this is a hot top. So I need to remember that when I have the firing schedule. And the firing schedule uh, for these kilns go off of the burner valve and the pressure gauge settings, if you have pressure gauge, gauge, gauges on your equipment, and also air mixtures. And the top vent and damper over the top of the porthole on the exhaust coming out the top lid. So, the different values of placement for all these different things come into play to creating a kiln schedule on what to do what, when, to get the desired results that you would want in the firing. And all that would come into play while monitoring, monitoring, I'm having a problem with words, while monitoring um, the cones measuring work heat on the shelves in the different sections, right? So you're looking through the peepholes. And also, if you leave the peepholes in or take them out, it's up to you too. So there's so much, so many things that you can do with your kiln that can influence what's happening. And if you get center lines down or the same process down that you can follow every single time, you can get and control the results for the most part and have them come out looking like you intended, okay? Rather than leaving it up to fate or luck. So I'm just going to give a quick example of the slow cool kiln schedule that I use for the gas kilns, okay? So I'm going to fire that gas kiln. Uh, I'm going to do the two-hour warm-up, which is just the, just the warm um, pilot ring lit on the bottom of the kiln. And 
Um, sometimes if it's a bisque load, I will do that two hours if I think that there's moisture in the clay. And I leave that on, turned um, fairly low. Uh, I try not to allow that to get too hot uh, so things can, um, the water can evaporate out of the kiln, right? So then the next uh, turn up, I will turn on the gas so that the burners are barely lit. Like they're flickering a bit because you because you want the warm, you want the slow start up for this kiln schedule that I do. Then I come down and I turn it up a little more to where I have a study flow um, for another hour. And then I turn it up a little bit more uh, each time, each hour. The last turn up is when the flame is flickering out of the top port just a little below the lid right so you don't want the fire blasting out of the lid um, when I fire the updraft it's just my my schedule you may want that right so you would do that so my damper is full open on all this however on the two two hour preheat I have it halfway closed okay now, when I go into the cooling cycle, I go back all the way down to where the burners are just flickering again, and I cover the port in the top, the exhaust, um, halfway. And I let that cool down for about two hours. However, you need to pay attention to the cones inside the kiln. If it looks like they're heating up, you need to turn that back or turn it off because you don't want to overfire doing a slow cool down, right? Because you added too much gas for too long. So for the glazes that are more oxidation, I allow more air into the kiln and I don't slow, slow cool. Some of the most of the glazes, I just shut it down, and have it done with once that six drops to where I want it. Dropping it to where I want it, it's another another uh, process. And the updraft kilns, my kilns are off a cone from the bottom to the top, so I fire center to maybe a six. To reach a six and a half on top, to reach a five on the bottom, and I place my glazes accordingly. So if I have cone five glazes, they'll go on those shelves that fire cooler, and the higher temp glazes go on those shelves that fire hotter. So it's good to take notes on your kiln and know how that fires and get to know your kilns, right? Now, moving on to electric. Um, there are firing schedules out there for electric kilns. Uh, one of the tricks to keep your electric kiln going is to place in a higher cone than you need on the sitter. But you need to remember that you did that, right? 
So you need to remember that you have a seven in there and you're checking the six shelf cone. So when you're firing, don't forget, don't forget that you have a cone seven in the sitter and you're waiting for the shelf cone six to drop because you're gauging that off. Also, if you have a if you if you, if you don't have a cone sitter uh, six, I mean a seven, you can put a six in and just turn your cone back on until your cones on your shelves physically drop to where you want them. Um, now, if yours if your electric kiln is programmable. You need to figure out how to turn that thing on. And there are certain kiln schedules that you can program in that will give you firing schedules, as you know, and also slow cooling schedules. Now, there are a few slow cooling schedules out there that you can try if you just search them. So basically, what it is, is you're adding a hold at the end of the firing for a little bit, right? So some of these might only be for 15 minutes. Hold it at medium for such and such. But even on your holds, pay attention to that cone because you can overfire by adding more work heat to your cone and your, your firing will go hotter because of that hold a little bit. So, some of these are, are put out by um, other potters where they share their different schedules. Um, Camille Hoffman has a slow cool uh, firing schedule. Stephen Hill. And then there's one, the Plainsman Cone 6 slow cool schedule. So you can look up some of those online to see how they program and what they do. So to do this manually, um, sometimes I have, uh, depending on what your pyrometer says, I don't use a pyrometer, but you may have a temperature gauge on yours. Um, you can um, have the cone in the sitter, and when the shelf cone 6 goes down, you turn your switches back for a bit for a hold like maybe for 15 minutes. So if you're running on high, drop it in the medium for like 15 minutes. But pay attention to that shelf cone because you don't want to overfire. Uh, turn the switches off. Um, once the uh, temperature is reached on your control panel uh, or on your pyrometer. Um, then you can also... Um, wait 15 minutes after the sitter drops and then turn your switches back on to medium for an hour or so and then down to low for an hour or so but again always go back in and check your cone on the shelf 
to be sure you're not adding any more work heat to the process because you don't want to accidentally overfire. So all of this, you need to know your kiln if you're going to manually manipulate it. I guess that's what I'm saying. So it allows you to manipulate how the glazes come out on your kiln. So another thing is a lot of people question about leaving the vent fan on. So if you're slow cooling, uh, it's just going to add time to your cooling process, turning the vent, the vent fan off, right? And especially the hot days. And a lot of times people get impatient. Don't get impatient, friends. Just, just let it cool naturally. Uh, do some other hobby, like uh, go for a walk, ride your bike. <laughs> I don't know what you do for hobbies, but give it time because the kiln needs to do its thing. And even during the hot days of summer, um, you can fire second or third shift, right? I've, I've fired starting at 10 o'clock at night. Makes for a long night, right? But I mean, it's much cooler. You can see the cones in there in the dark. And you can kind of see what the kiln's doing. Especially with the gas, you can kind of see if too much flame is coming up out of that exhaust hole for, for what you'd want. Or if you're going into reduction, um, usually that happens after cone one, reduction firing. Um, you start covering that damper a little bit until you get a yellow flame out the bottom peephole so that flame is being sent back through the kiln um, then again you need to figure that out so you don't choke it out but just always pay attention to your kiln never forget about it and um, if you're firing manual especially and never trust electronic shutoffs Never trust cone shutoffs because they're there only um, to shut off the kiln, but not necessarily as a safety precaution. Always get up and go down there, right? Because you don't want things to not work that one time and lose a whole load. And terrible things can happen. So again, when you're using when you're using um, shelf cones, remember they don't measure temperature. They measure work heat. And that's really important to remember. So um, I think on my next firing and the last few firings I've been doing, I've been adding wood down the center of the top draft hole. And I put a big bowl down on the shelf underneath the lid and when the kiln when I turn the kiln off turn the gas off I put a lot of wood in there and then I seal it up and just let it smoke out and that creates a lot of smoke and reduction in carbon inside there and I've gotten some interesting uh, carbon trapping uh, happening and it's it's pretty amazing to see and the wood is just amazing to add to the kiln so i've been doing that and and i think if i fired electric right and i had my electric kiln 
um, in an outside shed with a vent or something that I could just smoke out the place. I know it's hard on the elements and everything, but man, I'd be adding stuff to that kiln to burn it out just to see what, just to see what would happen, right? A reduction firing in electric kiln. So I don't know, friends. Um, feel free to experiment with some of these things and don't ever think that you're leaving it up to the kiln gods because once you get to know your kiln, like a longtime partner, uh, you will get to understand them, what makes them tick, and how to get the proper results that you can enjoy. That's not saying that accidents won't happen, but there's so much that you can do in a kiln firing it manually, and it makes for a really fun process and experimentation and a whole different area of interest can be added to your pots right you can try different glazes and get them to work six different ways just because of the way you fire manually um, the process puts you in contact with your kiln and and the making process in a totally different way until you kiln sit um you, you, you haven't experienced um, the pottery experience. I just love firing. So a lot of times there might be parts about the process we don't enjoy because we simply may not be all that good at it and we may just need to mess up some more in practice and it's okay. You have my permission to make up, mess up. Uh, go ahead and mess up. Get all the mess ups out of the way so you can create better work and always remember that in pottery, um, practice does not make perfect. Practice just makes better. So you don't need permission to start working in clay. Do it right now, right? Because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. Yesterday's already gone. So what better time than to experiment now? with the pots all right until next time uh happy potting and if you have any questions feel free to come over to the blog and ask a few questions or send them in creekroadpottery at gmail.com let me know if you enjoy the show let me know what you're making right i'd like to see what you have going on and if you can share this with some friends who you think might enjoy it Go ahead and do that. So, take care of yourselves and each other. Make work that matters for people who care. And do good work.